And uh, I don't know what to do after that introduction. I've been put on Facebook as Bernie Sanders. Uh, He told me about that in advance. I thought it was hysterical. It's so good to be with you again. It's been a while since I've been here. But boy, the Holy Spirit is here this morning. Amen. We had awesome praise and worship, didn't we? Oh, great worship team. And um, Lord speaking through some of you to to the body. I think that's awesome. And I love being where so many young people are at. And I'm glad to see some that's in my group too. (laughs) You know, the 30 and above. Amen. I love the Lord today. I'm glad to be here with you. And um, I thought since Drew pointed out we'd had a sermon and a half, maybe I could at least give a half more. <laughs> that might be long enough for, for me. The, um, you know, I've reached that age where I have slowed down a little bit, so just give me a little time here to get situated. And um, we only have one dog, Drew. We lost one of our dogs. Yeah, it was real sad. So, but you know, all dogs go to heaven, right? Yeah. We'll see them again one day. Hey, I'm going to speak today from 1 Peter chapter 1. If you'd like to be turning there, I'll give you a little greeting while you turn there. But it's so good to be with Drew and Kristen and the kids. And um, it's an honor to get to be with them in church. We love them dearly. And they're like family to us. We just don't live uh, close enough to see each other as much as we'd like to. And I'm sure they feel that way about the real family. And, um, but they're, they're special folks. I remember whenever Drew came to our house to eat one night, and he shared with us about his life. And I asked him, I said, is there anybody you're serious with? And he said, no, not really, but I've got a good friend. And he said, she's real sweet, and she sneaks food out of the cafeteria for me because he, <laughs> he was like me when I went to school. He didn't have much money. And he went through a list of things she did, and I looked at him and I said, Drew, I think she's more than a friend, and you don't know it. <laughs> that was a prophecy. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, how long have you been here, uh, Drew and Kristen? Uh, three years. Three years. Time flies, doesn't it? Amen. I remember Drew when he was just a teenager. Actually, a Lee student. So. But um, times fly. Boy, God's blessed this church. You're just doing wonderful. I don't know if you realize how great an attendance this is during the COVID virus times. I mean, this is wonderful. It really is. And um, I know know that um, these are difficult times for churches. There's churches across this country going to close doors because they just can't make it. But I believe those churches that pursue God during this time and do it with wisdom the best way they know how to do it, while trying to be safe, I believe God's going to honor them and prosper them, and they will gain strength and momentum out of these times. I fully believe that with all my heart, that God brings strength through adversity. We, we went to a, we've never pastored during a time like this, and by the way, I thank God nearly every Monday that I don't pastor during the virus times. You know, these aren't fun times to pastor. But um, we went, when we went to Alaska to pastor um, a few years back, early in our ministry. Um, that church we were um, assigned to had been through a terrible time. They'd had split. They, had, um, had a, they were in the red by thousands of dollars, which I didn't know. Nobody tells you this stuff when you go to a church. But um, the other thing was, the, <laughs> yes, the economy of Alaska was in an oil recession in the 80s, and so um, they were in a terrible recession. We had six families lose their home 
while we were there, six or seven families lose their home. I had 70 people that left the city due to loss of jobs out of our church. We were only about 150. And um, it was a tough time. I can tell you, the first year and a half, I was not a real good pastor for those folks. I pastored with a good heart, but I tried to do pastoring in Anchorage, Alaska, like I did in South Georgia. And it didn't work too good. But I did some repenting and praying and seeking like you're talking about. But, you know, um, that's where I became a good pastor. I'm talking about a really good pastor. That's where I learned how to work with the Lord in ministry and be open to listening to people and see what we need to do different and let the Holy Spirit lead in God and not be stuck in a rut. And I thank God for that. I love being in church like yours where you can be who you are. You love that? Amen. Like a pastor that gives us that freedom and like a wife of a pastor who tells him to do that. <laughs> so it's good to be with you folks again. We love you guys. Um, I, I thank the Lord for what he's doing here. And I know when the virus walls come down, we're going to find that Jesus has been free in this church all the time. And you're going to see growth and more people come in to love the Lord here. Thank you for your worship. And um, I'm going to read it from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, as I mentioned. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that? That's for you, for me. You can say your name right there, reserved for Tom. Reserved for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I like that, kept by the power of God. We've already sang enough to testify that we can't do this stuff on our own. We don't have the ability, the power, nor the goodness. But thanks be unto God, it's all by His grace and power of God that He keeps us through our faith. And then verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, like this church loves to celebrate. We greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. I want to say that again. Whom having not seen, you love. Can you hear Jesus now speaking to Thomas, the doubting disciple? Whenever he, when Jesus first appeared, disciples, Thomas wouldn't come. He was too down about the Lord's death. And Jesus had another appointment to come, and they told Thomas about it. He shows up. He had told them, he said, I will not believe it's the Lord unless I see the nail prints in his hand and put my hand in the side where he was hit with the Spirit. Do y'all remember that? You remember what? When Jesus appears behind closed doors, he just suddenly appears. Thomas goes over and looks at him, and Jesus says, here I am. Look at me. See my nail prints. Thomas falls on the ground, and he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Thomas, for you have seen and believed, but blessed are those who will not see but believe. Who will not see me but believe. This is your blessing right here. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Lord, speak to us through your word.
accomplish something in us you desire to do. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a theme. I hope this doesn't sound too dumb. What we have here until we get there. What we have here until we get there. I think sometimes we don't realize what we have here. You know, Johnny Mitchell did a song back in the 70s that was a popular song. And she said, in it, she says, you don't always know what you got till it's gone. I'm glad that I'm not Johnny Mitchell because I may not know what I've got, but it's not going anywhere. I'm going somewhere. Amen. But I hope we think about today what we have here until we get there. This world is filled with some trouble. I'm not being negative or downer. I'm trying to address it as Jesus would and as Peter did. We have trials here. Can you say amen? amen. We have trouble. Some of us have a dog die. Well, that's a mild t- uh, trial compared to other things. But I was just kind of being a little humorous there. But it is sad. We miss old Jake. But you know, we've got more grief in our background than just that. We've seen loved ones go. We've, um, I've lost my parents. Amy has lost one of hers. We lost a child years ago. I think we have a right to say we understand trials. Uh, I think we know what that's like. So what do we do with that? What do we do in the middle of a virus where many of us have felt isolated or not able to get with our friends? Um, what do we do about that? How do we function this time? Well, you know, I don't have a lot of answers here today, but I'd like to share with you the things that come out of this passage that Peter is telling us we have right now, and it will be with us until we get there in glory. This passage is about being ready for the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the return, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we will be with him forever. This is emphasized over and over. So I want to talk about this. We know it's by his mercy that he has begotten us again to a living hope. The first thing I want to share with you is we have hope. We have hope. Have you ever felt hopeless? Surely we all have at times. Uh, maybe, Maybe not. Maybe you haven't, but at times we felt that way. I remember before I got saved, still to this day very clearly, I didn't get saved till I was a senior in high school. I did not know if I believed in God. I was thought of as a popular, happy kid. But I remember being up in my room many times thinking about what is life about, feeling lonely and just like there's just no real purpose. I became basically an agnostic. But you know, that was because I didn't have Jesus Christ in my heart. And when he came in my heart, he implanted in me a hope that transcends circumstances. He calls this a living hope. I have a hope that is alive. Now, do you remember what Hebrews 11:1 1 said? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Your faith is largely evident by what I hope for. And I have a hope now I didn't have before I got saved. Even when we've been through some of the trials, even when we lost our child, we never gave up hope. I was blessed deeply and surprisingly, and very, I was, even though I was greatly grieved and sad that when we had the graveside service for our little fellow that we lost, we had one song sung at the graveside, and my wife asked the person to sing, His Eye is on the Sparrow. I was taken aback. But my wife had a heritage of faith so deep within her, she wanted that song. And I was thinking as we were there, you would never think of the words for me. It would never come to my mind. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. But you know, we can sing that. We can sing it because we have a living hope. Romans 4 and 18, it said, Abraham 
believed God's promise. It says, in hope, he believed against hope. Whenever it appears there's no reason to hope, he hoped. His hope was not a simple like, I hope that happens, or I hope the Green Bay Packers win today, which I really do. (laughs) All right, go pack. But, uh, you know, I hope they win, but I don't have my hope in the Packers. Got a little bit in Aaron Rodgers, but (laughs) he's been there before and didn't make it. But, you know, whenever in hope you Hope against hope. It's the idea that circumstances doesn't say it will be, but God said it will be. And I know God honors His Word. In hope, I believe in hope, even though circumstances says otherwise. And I tell you what, just a few months back, whenever this virus first hit, we wondered how churches would do. But look at you now. You remember the first few months or weeks of this? You remember how we weren't sure how many of us were going to make it, how many were going to get terribly sick? God's blessed you, smiled upon you because you kept that hope going, knowing that God would bring us through it and God would honor his word. Abraham hoped against hope. He believed in hope. Hope comes from God's mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Let's define mercy by first defining grace. You know, I'm saved by grace. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. On my very best day, whenever I have done fasting, praying, and repenting, and I think, I've got it going now. Did you know all my righteousness is as still as filthy rags? I have nothing to merit anything of eternal good but the grace of the Lord. Here's what grace is. is getting what you did not deserve. Getting what you did not deserve. I didn't deserve this, did you? Did you deserve salvation? Did you deserve the Spirit? The gifts, the fruits of the Spirit? Did you deserve fellowship and love with one another? I didn't deserve a good Christian wife. And if I hadn't been born again and received the grace of God, I probably would not have had one. But God graced me in so many ways. I didn't deserve my awesome kids I've got, but I've been graced. I've been graced over and over again, and I don't deserve it. That's what grace is. But do you know what mercy is? It's where you don't get what you do deserve. Mercy is where you don't get what you do deserve. Before God, I was, a re- I was rebellious. I wanted nothing to do with Him. I didn't want to be saved. I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't understand being Christian. I I had friends witness to me, and I would antagonize them and tear them down. Last week, a dear friend of mine, Wayne Harrington, from my hometown of Hazelhurst, Georgia, died of the COVID virus. He had uh, been a good Christian who witnessed to me when I was a sinner, and I would just antagonize him. I helped him backslide. This is true. I hate it. You're talking about, you know, things you had to repent of. I, I regret to this day that I assaulted verbally a believer in Christ. But we became good sinner friends after he backslid. <laughs> it's true. But then something happened. That's okay. You can laugh. It's true. We were buddies. But then one night, after many people witnessed to me and my mom threatened me, it was going to be miserable if I didn't at least visit church. I had an agreement with my mom. This is no joke. She got saved in the Church of God, Pentecostal Church. We weren't raised that way. I didn't know what to do with her. I was embarrassed. And one night we had a knockdown argument because I didn't want to go to her church. And she said, if you go sit through one service, I'll never bother you again, ever. I said, let me understand this. If I go, you'll never bother me again. She said, that's right. I said, 
They were in a youth revival. I said, I'll be there tomorrow night. I'll sit through the service and don't ever bother me again. <laughs> this is true. And we got there. I got there. Didn't want to be there. But something happened. I can't explain it this day. There I am going to never go to church again with her and never to be a church of God. And God warmed my heart. You follow what I'm saying? Something happened. I didn't understand that. But the next night, I went voluntarily as a sinner. In the parking lot, as I got out of my car, guess who drives up in the parking lot? Wayne Harrington, the guy I helped backslide. He says, what are you doing here? Because he knew how I'd been. I said, I'm going to church. Why don't you come go with me? I'm an agnostic sinner evangelizing. If God can use a donkey, he could use me. <laughs> Wayne said, I don't think I can go in there. You know me, I'll probably get religious. He meant that in a very good way. That was before the word was not a good word. It was a good word back then. <laughs> Here's what I said as a sinner. I said, well, come on in with me. Maybe we'll get religion together. And we both, he came back to the Lord and I got saved that night. That's mercy, folks. How in the world could God put so many people in my way to keep me from doing what I wanted to do, to go as far away from church and God as I could and to live a sinful lifestyle as I hoped to live? And he just kept putting blockades in my path. I didn't get what I deserved. I got what I do not deserve. I got mercy and grace. It met me. What beauty there is. He said this mercy and grace brought to me an inheritance incorruptible. You can't take this stuff away, folks. You can't diminish it. You can't demolish it. Yeah, I know some people, they do the faith of God injustice by the way they don't live the life and they live, uh, maybe it's in hypocrisy or continual criticism. But I'm going to tell you, they can hurt their witness, but they can't hurt my inheritance and they can't hurt your inheritance. Even though there's many, have been many preachers that have failed. People often forget, by and large, almost all preachers don't do it and fail. But the ones that fail, they may damage the image, but they don't damage the substance because the substance is not what you can see. The substance is in Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. This inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled because my faith that is, that is in me is not of my own. It is of the work of God. And listen, I like this, does not fade away. The Bible says that they go from strength unto strength in the Psalms when talking about the righteous, the people of God. Go from strength unto strength. When I can't do, when I think I can't do anymore, guess what? I'll find out I can do more. That's what the pastor was talking about earlier whenever Paul said that it is in my strength, it is my weakness that strength is made perfect. Praise God. That's what this is talking about. It does not fade away. It gets stronger and it's reserved in heaven for me. This inheritance is so good, it is actually fulfillment of what Jesus said. He said, 
Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where people can break in and steal them or it can rust and decay. He said, lay up for your treasures in heaven. He said, for nobody's going to steal it or take away and it'll never decay. That means it won't fade away. You, your bodies may show evidence of being human and you may have some things in your mind that you struggle with, but I want you to know what God has put into your heart, spirit, and soul. When He birthed you again into the kingdom, He made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Indeed, old things have passed away and all things become new. You are a child and son of God and you are a daughter and a child of God and God wants you to know nobody can take away what He has done in your life. Can you give Him a good praise? In 1977, there was a momentous happening in the United States. It would change this country forever. Star Wars came out. <laughs> Episode 4, the name, do you know what the subtitle was? A New Hope. That was great, wasn't it? A New Hope, it's still the best Star Wars to me. You know, but. Leah, Princess Leah, that famous prophetess, that was a joke, but she has this one of, one of the more famous quotes in this. She says, this is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. I thank God my hope's not in Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's a great movie, though. But I want you to think about why that movie was so successful and changed movie making, not only because of the tech. Whenever um, Spielberg won, was it Spielberg? Made the, oh yeah, when Lucas made this. He said, I wanted to capture the feeling of the old B-Westerns. Those of you who grew up in my day and you got to go to the theater and see old B-Westerns, you remember them because the only thing bad about B-Westerns was if the hero kissed a girl. Every now and then they put that in, I don't know why. But he wanted to capture that because in those old westerns, it was almost always the good guys triumph, the good guys come to the rescue, the uh, thing, good things happen to the women. You know, it may look dire. The cavalry's coming to the rescue. The bad guys look like they've got more of them than there are good people. But the good win is about hope. This movie resonated because it was one of the best movies to capture the sense of hope that people really want. Unfortunately... Too many Americans turn to cinema, celebrities, or entertainment for their hope. And it's fleeting. It decays. It passes away. But I want you to know that we have a hope that extends beyond what any human can give. And Jesus Christ, He is my only hope. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Amen. This is what we want to remember is what Obi-Wan Kenobi said when he was being about to be killed. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And he did. He went into the force and the rest of his cinematic history. But I want you to remember that is based only on a real truth. 
that whenever they struck Jesus down by nailing him to a tree and they thought they had overcome him and he came out of the grave by the power of his omnipotence on that third day, he declared, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth and under the earth. And he said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He triumphed over all things because indeed when he was struck down, he became more powerful than ever in our ability to understand him and to experience him. And not just because he died, not just because he was resurrected, not just because he went to be at the right hand of the Father, but because he said, if I go away, I will send you another comforter and he will be with you and you will receive him. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. We are able to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so we have a more awareness and a greater ability to do the work of God. Can you say amen? amen? Well, the second item here, is really good too, because look at it. After we go through that, he said, you greatly rejoice. Joy is an important word in this passage. He said, you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So let's say there is some not so happy news right here. And you and I are blessed, but we need to remember when Peter's writing these words, these people are under severe persecution. Uh, Jewish Christians have been ostracized by their community of faith. Gentile Christians are like the odd person out. They don't fit in. And whenever they're serving God, eventually the Roman Empire unleashes its fury and begins persecuting them. They kill them. They chop their heads off. They crucify them again. The others are crucified. They take some and they tie wild animal skins around them and throw them in the pits with wild animals. Like, it's just horrible, the persecutions that go through us. It's a terrible time. And he says, I know you have various trials. So he's not talking about you're upset because your neighbor got a Lexus and you drive a Corolla, which is what I drive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not that. It's that they're having trials that are just so hard to overcome. But listen, he said it's just for a season. He said, this is so, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The second thing you have here until you get there is your faith. You have your hope and you have your faith. Amen? I like that old song. It said, um, I was trying, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. The guy that wrote that song was a prominent guy in, in rock music, was a producer, wrote a few songs. He was uh, one of the ones who produced Monster Mash. Most of y'all heard that song. You know, He got saved. And when he got saved, he penned this song. The world didn't give it to me. The world can't take it away. They say you can't take your riches with you, but mine's transfer okay. <laughs> I've got my faith. There is nothing you can give me that is greater than my faith. And what I like is the devil intends trials for my harm. God turns trials into a de declaration of the genuineness of my faith. The genuineness is not because I'm so faithful. The genuineness is because the giver gives a real faith that will sustain you. And what you have, you're genuine and living through the trials, but you're genuine because you have a genuine faith. Let's look at that both ways. It's much more precious than gold. Can you hear Job now? When he has tried me, 
I shall come forth as gold. I don't look too much like gold right now. But if you could take away this body that is diminished in strength and good looks, I know some of you don't believe that, but uh, <laughs> you could see gold under me. There's gold inside. You know, there's gold right inside me. And it's not because I've done so good, it's because I've hung in there. I didn't give up. I kept pressing on. When the enemy came against me, even though sometimes he knocked me down a notch and he shouldn't have, I always hung back on and hung in and let that faith be real. I don't know how you feel about yourself, but I'm going to tell you something that you need to believe. You should feel, feel better about yourself than you do. You should feel better about your faith than you, than you do because you're a child of God and God has kept you. Even as the enemy's tried to distract you, even as sometimes we get tempted and sometimes drawn aside, he hasn't given up on us. You're still here. If you could just look around today and see all the gold in this place, you'd begin praising and worshiping God because our trials of faith are more precious than gold. I didn't know. Am I able to show that um, clip I have? Maybe not. Can I see that? I got a picture here I want to show you real quick. This is an icon. It was a officially commissioned um, painting, an iconic painting that was done by the authorized by the Coptic Church in Egypt. Coptic just means Egyptian church. Coptic church, some scholars believe, traces back to the very oldest churches that are in existence still. Some of them. These are um, Christians, they're, they're basically Orthodox, like Eastern Orthodox, but they have been um, primarily in Middle Eastern countries under the face of persecution, severe persecution for, dec for centuries, for, for, well, for two centuries. The, this looks interesting to us, but it's very sacred to these folks because those 21 faces there are the 21 martyrs of Libya the 21 Coptic Christians that were taken out on a beach in Libya and killed for their faith. These 21 uh, young men, all of them in their 20s from what I understand, had gone to Libya to work. They were from a small town in, or excuse me, 13 of them were from a small town in Egypt and the others were scattered around. And these 21 went to Libya in construction to work and earn a living. And while there, the ISIS terrorists captured them. They kept them for quite some time, and these, they kept trying to get these 21 fellows to recant their faith. That's all they did. They abused them, beat them, tortured them. Not a, not a one would recant their faith. So one day, they take them out and line them up on a beach with a video camera. And they got them in orange jumpsuits like criminals. And they say all kind of hateful things, give them one time to recant. The story is, one fellow did recant. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But they took these guys and they put a big sword to their heads. It's like the book of Revelation. And it's terrible, but they literally sawed their heads off. People think beheading might, not, might be crisp and clean, but really it's not. The old beheading was horrible. Their last words... Jesus, help me. This is documented on videotape. Jesus, help me. And they let themselves be killed. Bashar Kamal was brother of two of these Coptic martyrs. And he said he was proud of his brothers, Bishoy and Samuel, and said their martyrdom was a badge of honor to Christianity. 
Kamal, I want you to get this. This is the attitude of these Coptics that have been persecuted most much. He went so long, he actually gave thanks to the Islamic State for videotaping their Christian witness before beheading them. ISIS gave us more than we asked, he said, when they didn't edit out the part where they declared their faith and called upon Jesus Christ. ISIS helped us strengthen our faith. I was thinking about the evangelism that went out the last breath of these people. The story is, and I, I, I don't, I'm trying, I tried to find documentation. I've read it, but I can't get the formal documentation. The one guy, this is true, his name was Matthew. He was a convert. He met these people while they're working in Libya, and he got saved, accepted their faith, and he was one of the 21. Story is that as they got ready to behead them, he recanted. And after he saw their testimony and how brave they were and how much faith they had, he recanted of recanting. <laughs> he repented. And they executed him too and cut his head off. They, I read an author who's, there's several books on this, and I read an author who went to this church and interviewed people. And you know their only real worry? Some of them talk about how proud they were that these people would not give up their faith. And their only real worry is that the church world will forget that this happened. I just imagine a good bit of you didn't know the story. I asked my class, I was shocked. I asked a class I teach of about 31 students, Christian ethics, how many of them knew the story of the Coptic Christians? And only, I don't think, um, maybe one or two hands went up. And I think they're right, they'll be forgotten. And guess, guess when this happened? 2015, it's only five half six years old this thing was all over the news it was everywhere it stirred up the churches people made statements about it but i'm going to tell you they those folks are shining like gold in the kingdom of god they're shining like gold i've wondered to myself many times listen to these stories what would i've done on that same beach if they'd put an actual knife to my throat and i knew it wasn't going to be quick and painless and said, if you'll just say you don't believe in Jesus, we'll let you go. I hope to God I wouldn't do that. I pray to God I never find out. There's a danger with having the, the, you know, the Bible says martyrdom is a gift. Did you know that? Being a martyr is a gift. But there's a problem with having the spiritual gift of martyrdom. You only get to use it once. And you don't know you got it till it's too late. Okay, I was trying to give a little humor in the face of all that stuff. <laughs> I love this. Listen, folks, I have never gone online to look at the video. I just don't want to see it. It's terrible. But they did this. And I was thinking, though, if I was going to have faith like somebody, I'd like to have it like these Coptics. Sometimes we judge folks like that, and we don't think they got much. But, boy, they got it. They got the juice. The last item. Look at what he says. Whom you love, I love this part. Whom you love, even though you haven't seen him, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving then into your faith. The last thing I want to share is love. We love God. Do you love him? Amen. He loves me with perfect love. I love him with the love I have as a believer. But I'm not perfect always, right? But I love him. I don't want anything to take away my relationship with him. I love him more than anything in this life. And I love him because he gave me my next loves, my wife and my children. 
godly people, family and friends. I love Him with all my being because He birthed me into His kingdom. When I did, had nothing to offer Him, He gave me everything. Whenever I was lonely, He gave me companionship. When I was unsaved, He gave me eternal life. I'm telling you, there's nobody like Him. And there's blessings on us because we love Him and haven't seen Him. I think the best illustration I can come up with, which is a weak illustration, but it's all I got, is a mother's love for an unborn child. A good mother loves that child when that child is in their womb. My wife did this. I was puzzled for nine months. You know, I'm trying to love this child. I never had a child. I didn't understand babies. I absolutely did not. I was nervous about having them. I told my wife one time, if a baby could be born at two or three, I'd be better off. I know what to do. I didn't understand it. But boy, from the moment she finds out she's pregnant, that baby is everything to her. She notes the first movement. She notes every little change in her body, and she, for nine months, is anticipating the birth of that child. I know some people go through problems and stuff. We've been through that, too, where health problems came into a pregnancy. But I tell you, there's nothing like the love of a mother that starts before you ever see the baby. Whom having not seen, you love. I haven't seen Jesus, but I love him. And mothers have not seen the baby that's in the womb, but they love them. I didn't get that. I tried to act like I did, and I think I might have fooled her somewhat. <laughs> I'm serious. This is honest, good, and the truth. But I worried about this up till I got into the delivery room. And there I am in the delivery room, and my wife is agonizing and all kinds of pain. And I'm like, this ain't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> they get ready to deliver that baby, and they have me a few feet away, and a nurse is standing by me. And I'm, I'm really trying to act joyful. I'm really a little con- strain and the baby comes out and they said she's a girl and I said real exuberantly honey did you hear that she's a girl and they hold that baby up and I lean over this is true now I lean over the nurse I say are they supposed to look that way (laughs) and she assured me let me tell you it was so funny but then something happened I had not counted on Before they let her hold that baby, they come over and they say, you want to hold the baby? And I'm like, I got to say yes, don't I? I didn't say that. I was in the head and I said, yes. I was so nervous. And this baby transformed me. They laid that baby in my arms. And all of a sudden, I got it. You follow me? I got it. I mean, I never got it till that moment. Whenever that baby was laid in my heart, my heart changed. I mean, laid in my hands, my heart changed. It's like the Grinch on, you know, the Grinch stole Christmas. My heart grew two sizes that day. I could not believe it. I loved it. I finally got it. I was Thomas, the doubter, who got to see Jesus. But my wife, she was those who had not seen. No, no, the love grew, but the love didn't start that day for her. It was right there all the time. When she held that baby, it's like, I've been waiting for you for nine months. I've counted on you, and I have loved you from the moment you were inside of me. That's what we got. We love God. We don't understand it all, but listen, we're like the mother who knows the baby's there, even though they don't get to see the baby, except maybe on ultrasound. They have the evidence they need, all the evidence and proof they need. Well, that's the way you and I are. We love Him because we see Him everywhere. We don't see Him, but we see Him. 
see Him. He's in you. He's in others. He's in this creation, this beautiful world. Yeah, the devil tries to destroy or distort the image we have of God, but he can't take it away from the person who sees into the unseen. For the person who has eyes of faith and who loves God, they see God. What do we have here until we get there where Jesus is in eternity in heaven? What do we have here? Hope, faith, love. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13? And now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Our hope and faith produces within us a love that cannot be taken away. And the end of our faith that is bound up in faith, hope, and love is the salvation of your souls. I want you to have more hope than ever before. Rely on your faith in greater ways than ever and enjoy the love of God beyond whatever you've enjoyed before. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for the truths that are in this word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we haven't seen you with our physical eyes, but we've seen you with our spiritual eyes. You're all around us and you're in us. God, I pray that we'd never forget. Whenever times come against some of us, when problems come to where we begin losing some sight of you, I pray, God, that you would remind us all and remind those going through the toughest times that they have hope right now. They have faith right now and they love you right now. Most of the time, God, we talk about you loving us. But in this passage, it's about us loving you because you first loved us. And I pray that you strengthen every believer here. Anybody here that doesn't have faith, I pray that you draw them to you. That you touch their hearts and warm them to have this faith. And God, I pray for you to strengthen every person. May this be a time where we rise and shine. I pray for this church, God. There's no doubt that there's adversity through this uh, virus situation as well as other things. But God, may this church shine brighter than ever before. May it be lifted up in, in their faith and in their love and in their hope. May your anointing rest upon the pastor and wife and the leaders in greater ways than ever before. May your spirit flow through the worship team. God, we take, we take this time and we bring it captive in the name of Jesus that this is your time. Just as the hearers of the word for St. Peter, just as they knew that they were going to be victorious, thank you, God, that we know that. And if we ever begin doubting, Help us, God, to have a renewal of our faith. And let's lift up holy hands and praise Him together. Would you do that? Lord, we give you praise and thanksgiving. We bless you. We magnify you. We honor you and adore you. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Let's give the Lord good praise. Thank you so much for having Amy and I, Pastor Drew.